Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The last five and a half seasons, the team right up the road from where I'm sitting has rostered the two best players in baseball. And not just the two best players in baseball, but two of the best players to ever play the game of baseball, including arguably the single best player ever. And in those five and a half seasons of having two of the best players ever, exactly what do they have to show for it? They have managed a grand total of 0.0 playoff wins. 0.0. And a grand total of 0.0 playoff appearances. And even more than that, a grand total of 0.0 seasons with even a 500 record. Somehow, having two of the best players ever on the team at the same time has been a complete and total disaster for the Angels. A disaster and, frankly, a failure. You know how I know that there's such a thing as a failure in sports? Here's how I know. There's no failure in sports. Actually, there is. Actually, there is. See the Angels. Exhibit A, epic failure, the Angels. Hey, listen, I take no glee in having to say this. They're right up the street from me. I like them a lot. However, failing to even be competitive with Shohei and Mike Trout on that team, I mean, if that's not failure, what is? If that's not failure, point failure to me. The Angels could not figure out how to win any games for the last five and a half years. And then all of a sudden, a week ago, they begin winning, right? And then when they begin winning a week ago, winning actually becomes losing. And as soon as winning becomes losing, the Halos all of a sudden become a damn winning machine. They run off six out of seven. They climb back to 400. They get within four games of the last wild card spot. And they convince themselves, we're in this thing. We are relevant. We matter. We can get in. We can make a run. Which, frankly, is still a total pipe dream. I mean, they still have to get in. So they have this belief that we're in and we can do damage. And not only that, we're actually going to be buyers and not sellers. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull the most valuable trade piece off the market. Off the market. In other words... Six wins in seven games was just enough to convince them not to trade Shohei Otani. It is official. Tom Verducci had the story yesterday. Shohei is staying, at least for two more months. And let's face it, right now, I think we all know it's only going to be two more months. I mean, frankly, why would this guy stay a second longer than that? The team has never managed better than third place with him around. And even in their most desperate season ever, when their chips all in and they're doing absolutely everything they can to try to get this guy to stay, the absolute best that they can do is cling for dear life to chase a final wild card spot. Listen, I know why Artie Marino didn't want to trade this guy. He never wanted to trade this guy. I understand that. I'm not surprised that he's not going to move him. I'm not surprised by that. But he should. He should because we all know that Shohei is not staying. And even if somehow, some way, he wanted to stay, and I don't think he does, but even if somehow, some way, the guy really did want to stay here, 
and I can't imagine why he would, but even if he did, is there any reason to believe that Artie could actually win a bidding war for this guy? I mean, come on. Get out of here with that. Come on. So Come on. Come on. Get out of here with that crap. So they're not winning bleep this year. They've got no shot at re-signing this guy. And he's going to bounce. So exactly what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Seriously, what what are are you thinking? What am I here for? Are you really thinking you're going to win a bidding war for Shohei? Are you really thinking that you can move him right now, get the prospects you desperately need, maybe even some Major League Baseball-ready players, and then get this guy back as a free agent? Do you really think that's a possibility? After being there six seasons with nothing to show for it, why would this guy stay? The guy said over and over and over and over again, he wants to win. He's made that so clear. He essentially hasn't talked about anything else other than winning. That's what he wants. Shohei has not talked about East Coast versus West Coast, NL versus AL, or anything like that. He doesn't even talk money. All he talks about is wanting to win. And nobody with that priority is ever going to pick the Angels first. You know, sorry, not sorry. It's harsh. But even if they somehow make up that four-game wildcard deficit and somehow do rip that last playoff spot, you know, then what? What, are they going to win it all? Of course not. Is one miracle wild card appearance enough to convince this dude to stay? Of course not. So again, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Why did the Angels announce when they did that he was off the market? Why would you not try to get as much leverage as you possibly could? Why would you not try to create more of a market for the guy? Why would you not try to get teams in a bidding war for this guy? Why not listen to offers all the way up to the deadline if you know you really, really aren't going to be able to keep this guy? Because Artie was never going to trade him. Look, I understand that you don't want to trade this guy, but you should have. He's the best player ever. Here's Artie's reasoning. He's the best player ever, having the best season ever. I really think deep down I've got a chance to keep this guy. He's the best asset I have on the field. He is the best asset I have for generating revenue in all of baseball. He is a legitimate global superstar. I'm not trading him. Yeah, I get all that, Artie. But you're not keeping him either. So what you need to, at the very bare minimum, at the bare minimum... Don't say yesterday he's off the market. At least play this thing out. At least pick up the phone. At least listen to all the offers all the way through the deadline. But that's not happening. No, no, no. That's not happening. In fact, the opposite is. Not only are they not sellers, all of a sudden now they're buyers. They go out and they grab a starting pitcher in Lucas Giolito. And a bullpen arm in exchange for a couple of prospects. And again, the thing about the prospects, not just prospects, but arguably their two best prospects because they want to go for it, because they're trying to go all in. I think, I guess, I guess you could say the Halos have decided to play it like Bon Jovi. They're living on a prayer, a prayer that somehow they're going to rip that wild card. A prayer that somehow, once they do rip that wild card, they're going to go on this deep, magical playoff run. A prayer that somehow, Shohei gets so caught up in all of it, he decides he wants to stay. A prayer that somehow, Artie can come up somehow 
with enough money to outbid the Dodgers or any of the other major players for Shohei? A prayer. A prayer for not just one of those things, but all of those things to happen in the next couple of months. Let me tell you something, and it brings me no joy to say this, none at all. Those prayers are not getting answered. All of those things are not happening. In fact, I'd be shocked if even one of those things happened. We all know that Shohei is counting down the days until that big A nightmare comes to an end. We all know this is his last two months in Anaheim. All of us except for, well, the owner. And even Artie deep down has got to know, right? But I also think that Artie is going to scoop up the gate receipts from the last 30 home games with the GOAT. Probably add a few more merch stars around the park until the guy does bounce. Maybe jack up ticket prices a little bit for the last few home stands. And then, and then, he'll make his best offer to Shohei, shrug his shoulders and say, I tried. I did everything I possibly could. And then he'll probably sell the team like he was planning on doing before this season. For instance, why won't be the point of keeping the team after Shohei leaves? It's never going to get better without him, and you couldn't win with him. I know it's harsh. I know it sounds like doom and gloom. Sorry to harsh your buzz, Angel fan, because I'm guessing you're pretty happy about what you heard. But this is what happens when you have six years, six years to win, with two of the best players ever, and you don't even make the playoffs once. That's how this is going to feel. It's supposed to suck. The only way to make it any better was to save face and get what you could while you still could before the goat walks and you get nothing in return. Like, we tried, we failed, we own it, we accept it, now we have to do what's best for the business. And they couldn't do that either. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. We are joined right now by Chris Johnson via Zoom. Chris, it is great to get caught up with you, my guy. What's going on? How are you? I'm good, man. Just chilling, man, down here in Orlando, man, just enjoying this weather. Um, training, training my two twin boys, hopefully to be some football stars and stuff like that. And man, just grinding. That's it. I love it. All right. So dude, how old are your boys right now? And do you still want them to be running backs knowing the market the way it is? Um, they just turned 11. Um, and no, I, I've been saying this, like even they've been playing now for three, four years and stuff like this. And I've been having these thoughts and been saying this for years and years now, like, no, nah, I'm not going to let them play running back. I want them to play receiver, cornerback, or something like that. <laughs> 100%, dude. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Absolutely, you line them up outside. Absolutely, you let them cover guys. Unless unless they've got it in them yeah. to put the hand in the dirt or come off the edge and get after the quarterback, right? Or be a quarterback. Yeah, they, they're not they're not that big to put their hand in the dirt. Or they probably could be a quarterback or something like that. But 
yeah, where the money is, and especially longevity, is either in the secondary at corner or receiver. Those guys will be like in year 13, 14, 15, still making $15 million. Like, it's crazy. It's a business decision, too. Chris Johnson joining us. Listen, I want to go back to that whole situation with the running back position. But first, I want to talk to you about content. Let's talk content. How much are you enjoying co-hosting the Smash and Dash podcast with your dude, Lendale White, a guy that I always have loved chopping it up with? What's that been like? Man, I love it, man, to be on this side of it um, in the media or whatever and be able to talk about um, sports and things that's going on around the world. Man, I love it and just love creating content um, and things like that. And to be able to do it with a friend of mine, somebody that I played with, we have chemistry together going back and forth with a co-host and stuff like that. Um, I just love the situation and love doing it. And just gonna keep continue to do it and do it more, more and more. You know, I want I want to say one thing about the friendship the two of you have. You are certainly good friends and your former teammates, but it runs much deeper than that. The bond between the two of you is unbreakable, and not just because you were teammates. Lendale credits you, Chris, with saving his life. He says that when his career ended, he actually was having suicidal thoughts. He went to a really, really dark place, but you were the one who saved him. Like he called you his knight in shining arm armor. What was Lendale dealing with back then, and how were you able to help him through those dark times? Oh, uh, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say night and shine and armor. He did, but, though. He did, um, dude. Yeah, no, no, I know, I know. But I'm, what I'm saying is, like, at the time, I didn't, I, didn't, um, I didn't see this out of him. Like, I didn't know he was going through depression and all the different things and stuff like that. Like when he came out and said that, like that was my first time even knowing that, know what I'm saying? Cause you know, like, I guess like when they, when they talk about people that commit suicide and th these different type of things, like they hide it. So like when, once it happened, that's why people be so hurt because they like, no, nah, I didn't, I didn't see this from this person. Like this, I just seen this person like a day ago and they were just fine, regular, happy, go lucky. But, you know, they be fighting demons in, inside. You know what I'm saying? They hide it from the world. They don't have nobody to talk to. And it's like, man, me and him was like, throughout that time when I was playing, we was around each other like for four years straight. And I never seen that out of him. So, um, but I know like the things, like what I was, what I done, did for him and the, all those type of things, I know that helped him get out of the dark place when I go back and look at it. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I do. That makes sense. Um, that makes, Like, you didn't know. You were just checking on your guy. You missed your guy because yeah. you were still playing, and he wasn't playing. You're like, yo, what's up? What's up? And all of a sudden, come to find out, man, I'm dealing with some heavy stuff, some really, really heavy stuff, and you didn't know about it because, you know, now we talk about mental health. Now we're more comfortable talking about it. Now it's okay not to be okay. Now, not only is it okay to ask for help, but you got to ask for help, right? Right, right. You got to ask for help, man. You can't hold it in. And like, you know, a lot of times, a lot of people do it and I may do it myself as well. Like, like you hold things in and stuff. And then when you finally let it out, it, it's a big outburst or it's something like more than what it could be. And like, a lot of times you got to let it out and just talk about it. And you will actually feel better about it if you let it out rather than letting it all build up. And then once it get hearing it just go out, you might do some or it may come off 
way totally different than what it really is because you don't let it build up so much and then it just it just blew, blew up. That's it. It's okay not to be okay. Chris Johnson is joining us. All right, so back to the running back position, the business of that. As a former offensive player of the year and somebody who did rush for more than 2,000 yards in a single season, do you personally feel disrespected when you see what has happened to the running back market? Um, yes, I've been saying it for a while, man. Like, sure, I got paid or whatever like that. And a couple, Adrian Peterson, he got paid. Um, a couple guys in our era and stuff like that. But it's still like, I've been feeling like it's been disrespected because, you know, they quit to throw the tag on us. Oh, he's old, probably like a year six, seven. He's old. They start looking to go young. And then the money that we make. Like the the punishment that we take, the things that we have to do within the offense, we have to do more things. Like next to the quarterback, we the next position that has the most things to do. So that's why when people talk about offense and talk about football, they like why quarterbacks get paid um so much money because we understand what all the quarterbacks have to go through. The quarterbacks have to know what everybody have to do on the field. They have to know everything next to the coach. So we understand that. But when you come to the next position, it's the running back. The running back has to block to make sure the quarterback can throw the ball. The running back has to run the ball. The running back has to um, catch the ball out of the backfield. The running back has to do all these different dynamics of things. But then when you go to receiver, all the receiver, yeah, the receiver has to block downfield sometimes. But all they got to do is run routes and catch the ball. The running back have to do so many different things, like, and for us not be paid the second most money behind the quarterbacks is just disrespectful to me. You know, you make a pretty persuasive argument, but the teams obviously don't see it that way. They would tell you the game is changing, the market's changing. And then I would ask you, what has to change for the market to change? Maybe it has to be something in the collective bargaining agreement. So what is your reaction to Colts owner Jim Ursay yesterday saying that a renegotiation of the CBA as it relates to the running back position would be, quote, bad faith? Bad faith and inappropriate, and it's not happening. What's your reaction to that? Man, that that goes with anything in life. Know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't just going to put it just like on football or whatever like that. But that's like we we, we go in the business and, and we say, okay, we're going to sign this contract. So both parties supposed to stick to the contract, correct? So... It goes to like sometimes even with like even with the NFL and us not having fully guaranteed contracts. Um, once I guarantee money up, like it's up to the organization to be like, okay, we we want you to take a pay cut, or we're gonna we're gonna cut you. So um, they're not sticking to to the contract. Like when it comes to that aspect of it, so I just feel like um, if we saying we're gonna be in good faith. And we have a player on your team that you, that we all know is the best player on your team. He's the one make the ship go. Why not compensate him how you would want to be compensated, no matter what the what the contract was or whatever like that? And I feel like renegotiating renegotiating that part of the CBA. I don't think it. I think it would be in good faith on both sides. Like you can easily be like, okay, well just for this position because y'all writing us off so early like why don't we break it down to like coming out of the draft 
those guys only signing two, three year deals without the franchise tag on the back end. Because we we my man, you know you you already know the answer to that question because it benefits them, man. They love it. They love it. They're not changing jack. They're not changing jack. They don't have to. But what I'm saying, Jim. But what I'm saying is like if 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 y'all gonna stick with us. Because I feel like guys can play into 10, 15 years at the running back position if they take care of their body and, you know what I'm saying, still playing at a high level. But y'all writing us off after six, seven years. So if 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 you pay us that early and you're going to write us off in seven years, it's still going to be okay for both sides because we're going to get paid early. After seven years, y'all looking for somebody else younger anyways. So it don't even matter. Yeah, no, like, believe me. I'm not trying to keep you down. I feel badly for the running backs, but that's kind of where the thing is right now and the way the contract is structured. It's tough, man. A lot of these running backs, especially first-rounders, they might not see free agency for seven years or eight years. It's a tough spot to be. Like, Chris, for instance, you battled the Titans back in 2011 for a new deal. You sat out training camp and the first three preseason games, and then you got a new contract. I'm curious, are you surprised that Saquon did not try to do something similar and get a better deal than he ended up with. Are you surprised that he came back in? No, I'm not surprised because my situation was a lot different than a lot of people's situations. Like when I got drafted, it was the old, old CBA. So I was on a five-year contract, five-year deal with a probably, I think it was an optional six that like when I was coming out back then, they was giving five, six-year deals out at the time. So when I was trying to get me a new contract, like, I still had three, four years left on my deal. So, like, with his situation, it's like, okay, I'm on a franchise tag year. If I don't come back and I just sit out how I did, you're coming back next year with the same exact situation. Because you have to be there to make that year count to get closer to free agency. So if you want to sit out this year, when you come back next year, you still got two years to play under the tag. So it's like, what you going to do? Like, they got you. Like, at that point, man, they got the leverage. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And with my situation, I kind of had the leverage because if I hold out, I hold out. But I'm still, I got three, four years left on my deal. So I yeah. don't need it. No, don't I agree, matter. dude. I, I don't think he had any choice. I don't think he had any choice. Like, you could see how upset he was when he did yeah. that podcast. And he said, you know what I could do? I could say F my teammates. You know what I could do? I could say F the organization. I it, Maybe I have to do that. I don't want to do that. But I think at the end of the day, he knows what would that have gotten him, man. He would have lost a year of his career. He would have lost $10 bucks that he couldn't get back. And right. he'd be in the exact same place next year that he's in right now. So I agree. I don't think he had any choice whatsoever. So... At the end of the day, what has to change for the market to change, or is it not going to change? Is this the new normal and the way it's going to be going forward? Um, I think it's the new, like honestly, I think it's the normal for now um, with the with the CBA. I'm not sure when the next one is up. I'm pretty sure it's probably 2030. A long time. But ah, see, it's a long time, and then it's still trickery because you got to think if we're gonna. So for for example, the last CBA when um it was a not a whole, it was a lockout with the NFL. It was situations going on with like all the players could come together and and you know 
force their hand a little bit. But when you're talking about we're going to go in and, like, they're not going to have a lockout all because of one position because the receivers are getting paid how they want to get paid. The tight ends, the DNs, all those guys don't have no problem. So you really mean to tell me everybody around the league outside of the running back position is going to hold out or willing to make a lockout all over the running back situation? Nope. So I think it's going to be it's, it's going to be tough, and that's just not going to happen. It's going to be tough. So – um, hopefully they can get together and figure something out, but I, I just think it's going to start starting from the youth to high school and stuff. Kids are just going to start playing different positions and and just see where it goes. I think like, you're right. It's going to trickle down. I absolutely think it will trickle down to that. Yeah. Hey, before I let you go, Chris Johnson, my guest, you were nominated for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in your first year of eligibility while you didn't get selected for this year's class. Being nominated, obviously, is a great honor. How have you been approaching that entire process? Oh, man, that process, like, when I went into it, you know, yeah, I want to be a first ballot Hall of Fame, and I feel like I've done – everything that I could do. I got the accolades. I've done things that a lot of people haven't done. I've done things that no one ever have done. So it's like, man, at this point, I didn't make first ballot. And then I'm just going about how it goes. Like, I can't control it. So whenever I'm picked, I'll be honored. I'll be ready to go. And I just don't – I just try not to think about it as much. So do you think it's not a question of if – about a matter of when are you expecting to get that call at some point? Yeah, yeah, it's it's when. My my thing, what I'm gonna say about the whole thing is not if, is when. I just don't want to be this. I just don't want to be this old guy with gray hair, sixty years old and stuff like that. I I want to get in where I can where I can still enjoy it and and all those type of things. So. That's that's my only thing with it. My, my guy. Or even worse, you don't want to be in the ground when they finally put you in. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't fun. want my kids like that to have to Yeah, I don't want my kids to have to be out there accepting the speech and, and things like that. I I still want to enjoy it, man. Dude, leave me one last thought. You and I used to talk quite a bit in 09 when you went off for 2K. And I had a lot of fun talking to you and watching you that season. When did you first think that it was a possibility that you could break 2,000 yards rushing that year? At what point during that season were you thinking, man, 2K is going to happen? I would say probably by like around week 12 or 13. Like I said, I wanted to do it before the year started, but when it got around that week, um, especially when Vince Young came back in the game and we started going crazy and stuff like that. I knew I had a chance, especially once NFL Network started calling me CJ2K and they put up the ticker at the bottom of the screen. So every week, like when they showed my highlights or whatever, it was just ticking down like once it, once it get to that point and you got your team and the whole NFL behind you, then – at that point, I knew I, I had a legitimate shot. Hey, Chris, one last thought, because you mentioned Vince Young. V.Y., he, he's had kind of a tough go, kind of a tough journey. Everybody's journey is different. What was he like as a teammate and a dude? Man, V.Y. is, oh, my God. He's a great person, man. Like, like I love V.Y., especially as a, as a quarterback. He's a playmaker, but just as a person. And V.Y., I still talk to V.Y., like, 
every other week. Like I still talk, that's my brother, man. And like when I came in, he took me on his wings um, and just showed, showed love, man. I love that guy, man. He's a great person. I love him to death, man. You know, that's, that, that's big much right there. We call him, we call him big much. So, <laughs> you know what, dude, I remember the first time I met him and it was right not long after the game against USC, my man walked into a room, dude, and he just commanded the room. He just had this presence. He had this it, right? He had this it, like, you don't know how to explain what it is, but you know it when you see it or you feel it. He had that, right? Yeah, he got that it factor. He can walk in the room. Everybody's going to love him. He can control the room. He can lead, man. And that's what you want out of your quarterback. And, you know, everybody, you know, it's been it's always been talks of how Vince was as a teammate and he wasn't a good teammate and this and that. But I can assure you, you can talk to any player that on any team he was on and they're going to tell you they love Vince and, they love him as a teammate. He was a great teammate, especially for me, especially for a guy coming from a smaller school in East Carolina and coming up watching them in that championship game and to be able to come and play with him and for him to lead us, man, that was, that's probably like one of the, that's probably like a real big moment in my um, career that like when I met VY and was able to play with him, it was just, that was one of the awe moments. Like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm really playing with Vince Young. I like this. So what we got here is we are throwing it back and we're getting topical. CJ2K. Also, I want to remind listeners and viewers to check out the podcast. It is the Smash and Dash podcast with Chris Johnson and Lendale White. My guy, it's about time you and I got caught up. Appreciate the long-form visit. Didn't mean to keep you so long, but I was having so much fun with it. I couldn't cut you loose. Great to have you back, CJ. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, no, nah, you good. And if anybody is down in Orlando, I got the Airbnbs out by Disney. Come on, my the link is in my bio on my Instagram, Chris Johnson28. And thank you. It's always good to get with you, Jim. My dude, Chris Johnson. Yeah, I love it. Be good. You check that out now, clones. If you're down in that area, you check out his link. U.S. Cellular is introducing us mode. You know, it's kind of like airplane mode, but for people. It's a way to set up your phone so it does not get in the way of people really being with each other. Block distractions. Make way for real connections. Give it a try. Visit U.S. Cellular in-store or online, and they'll help set up your phone to us mode. Free. Even if you're not a customer. Built for superior 5G connection and real human connection, U.S. Cellular. Built for us. Find out more at uscellular.com slash find us. Good to have you, Anthony. What's going on? What's up, Romy? Now, Romy, I wanted to call about Artie Moreno and this whole Angel fiasco. Like, I'm a diehard Dodger fan from here in L.A., and my girlfriend is from Anna Crime, of course, and, you know, she's a, a diehard Angels fan. And I let her know that that's not her fault. That, that bad decision doesn't define her, but putting that crappy Angels stuff on my kids is. And I let her know from the get-go, don't put that crap on, on my kids. Okay? Look what Artie Moreno did to his team. He can't even get good players to go play with two of the best. Otani and Trout. I can't wait for next year when it's going to be Beth, Otani, and Freeman in that death lineup. Come on, Artie, just give them to L.A. We'll give you some prospects. And you guys might be able to win, you know, 75 games. Maybe you'll even break 500. But until then, just another dumpster fire. Like, like I told my girlfriend, the only good thing about Angel Stadium is seeing it in my rearview mirror as I go down to 57. Or Kelly Clarkson, and I'm a 
You can go ahead and rock that phone call. New York City, Eddie, the man. My brother, Eddie, what's up? Jimmy! What's up, baby boy? You know who this is, bro? Hey, man, I got a little bit of a pop curry for you. One is uh, I want to talk about how some famous big-time football video game has done my Jets wrong. They just came out with the Ravens. And how could they not have DJ Reed and Garrett Wilson in the 90s? They got them, like, in the mid-80s. And they got these rookies that are coming up in the, in the 90s. It's crazy. And to all those people talking about Aaron looking like the great kazoo, that's kind of funny. But what he looks like to me, especially in that legacy uniform he's wearing on all them clips you see on IG, is he looks like Kenny O'Brien, born the gun. Like when I was little, Kenny O'Brien, he did so good in that 86 season with Wesley Walker that they had a poster made of him, like he was Farrah Fawcett. It was called Born the Gun, and he had a leather jacket on looking like Tom Cruise. I wore, I've had that poster up in my room like it was Farrah Fawcett. I was a mark for him. And let me tell you this, the Jets are for real, Jimmy. That team is stacked, top to bottom. Watch, I'm, I'm telling you now. And then just a couple other things. In regards to some of these clothes that call, sometimes, man, they sound like little... Kitty cats, meow, 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 meow. When you're dealing with icons like you and me, they got to come strong like a big dog. Like one of my favorite hip-hop songs ever, Let It All Hang Out. They got to let it all hang out for you, Jimmy. Not meow, 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 meow. I know I could get a golden ticket, but I just don't know if I want to bash people to get that golden ticket. My knowledge is wisdom. And that's what I like to give to the people, Jimmy. And on one last thing, the media, you guys are so powerful, man. You know, a couple of things I don't like that the media is really, like, swaying, and I can see it actually happening, is three things. One thing, baseball is a great sport. I hear all the media guys making takes, oh, baseball is boring, baseball is this, baseball's not doing good. Tell that to them Spanish kids and all them boys that you see up there. When somebody hits a home run or somebody gets a big K, the, the power, the passion, from the pros to, to, to Mexican leagues, to the youth kids, how like how you and me have spent at least a 50K chain on travel ball for our kids. Logan Rome, my son, the great NCAA college pitcher. Those are the greatest times in my life. Baseball is great especially in the summertime when they got nothing else to do but watch a good baseball game every day and they're packing in 50K a day like my New York Yankees. Let's go, baby. And the last thing that the media does, the two things is, they talk about the running back is not valuable. It seems like to me the media are the ones that started this whole thing that the running back is not valuable. Eddie, let me jump in, my man. I want to jump in and respond to Good night now!